without the distraction of Mr. Lowkey's pained crowing, and with the peace of mind that comes with having $100 million in the bank, I began to have the most vivid dreams of my life. One night, oddly, I had a vision of the Voyager gold disc, not the pair famously sent into space, another parallel pair, not as well known. You see, at the same time NASA set out to send the famous disks into the heavens, they also sent a pair to hell. And they must have made it there, because in this vision, I saw one disc circled by the type of flames they could only have in hell. The kind that don't even seem to be burning anything. There's no kindling or tinder or whatever. It's just like a bunch of flames coming out of a concrete floor. Lots of fire. Not much brimstone. Well, maybe there was some brimstone. I'm not actually sure what that is. Anyway, down in hell, there were a few demons listening to the Voyager disc and chilling. Okay, they probably don't say chilling in hell, but they were hanging out, complaining about how much filler was on this thing and how poorly sequenced the album was. It starts with greetings in 55 languages, then goes into 15 minutes of whale song and the sounds of Earth by various artists. This was the only contact the demons ever had with the world above, and it didn't inspire confidence about the cultural achievements of the surface world. For humans to put whales right up top in the track list did not speak well of human creativity. The demons were saying how they would have liked a few more rockers, but the only rock song they'd ever heard was Johnny Be Good from this very same album. So to be fair, they had no idea what they were talking about. If this was a movie, they would do that thing where they show the gold disc spinning on the turntables, surrounded by hellfire, and then it fades into a different shot of the sun in the sky. Again, I have to stress, I am making this up for dramatic effect, but please picture that. And when we see the hot, hot sun shining in the sky, it pans down to show that it's directly over a White House. But not just any White House. THE White House. I think you know which one I mean. Inside, there's the President. Whichever one you want to imagine. Because, believe it or not, the president was not very important in my dream. It was the president's visitors that mattered. A duo of seismologists by the name of Harold Mallet and Longfellow Quaker. Mallet was a tall, slender guy, and Quaker was a short, fat guy. Isn't it interesting how duos of guys in situations like this often have very basic distinguishing features to tell them apart? One of them has a beard and one doesn't. Uh, one of them is wearing an Indiana Jones hat. It's quite easy to tell them apart, even though they're both world-renowned seismologists whose appearances do not matter much for their research. The president had summoned these esteemed scientists to go on a fact-finding expedition to learn more about the dangerous cracks that have been opening up all across the country. Maybe this part of the dream was inspired by the crack right outside Standard Supply. Anyhow, Mr. P, which is my nickname for all presidents and people whose last names start with P, was telling the guys... You gotta figure this one out. I want you to go inside one of the cracks and see what's down there, Mr. P said, who was a woman, by the way. Both these esteemed seismologists knew their stuff, but they also had some pretty wild ideas about what might be down there. Mallet said it was dinos. Quaker said demons. But they didn't say that out loud, because the president would think they're nuts. The president was like, remember Lewis and Clark? And Mallet said, from Superman? To which the president replied, Yes, from Superman. No, not from Superman, you buffoons! And hit them both on the head with a stick, and they each got a big red welt on their heads, which was unfair to Quaker since he hadn't said anything. The president's point was that this was going to be like Lewis and Clark, and as long as they found some evidence about what's causing this concerning seismic activity, they could do whatever kind of stuff they want to do down there. 
Out loud, they said, we're serious researchers and want to find the truth. But in their heads, they were like, yeah, and find some dinos slash demons too. And so the presidential expedition to explore the inner earth was formed. The researchers were given a small crew of assistants and bags packed with food and supplies, including 193 pounds of portable soup, 130 rolls of pigtail tobacco, and 30 gallons of strong spirit of wine. They got the exact same stuff Lewis and Clark got, because the government hadn't passed a new expedition supplies bill since the 1800s. Mallet, Quaker, and their crew ventured into a crevice somewhere in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And as they began to descend, they were like, man, this crevice is very deep. Perhaps it's more of a chasm. Are chasms wide or can they be deep but narrow? As seismologists, it seems like something they should have known the answer to. Oh, let's say they had some crazy seismology gear too. Some weird handheld devices with antennas sticking out and red, yellow, and green lights on them that indicate something scientific about seismic activity. I don't know science, so it's okay for me to gloss over these details. So they kept going further and further down for what felt like miles, because it was. As the temperature rose, the rocks got hotter, and at one point, Malik grabbed hold of a rock that was much too hot for his human fingers. He said, ouch, or fuck, or something like that, and went plummeting further into the abyss, losing all contact with the rest of the party. As Quaker and the rest continued their slow, careful descent, Mallet came to far below in what seemed to be a plateau surrounded by hellfire. This was highly manicured hellfire, though, shaped into columns and arches and sconces. Someone with a keen design sense had arranged this hellfire just so. In the near distance, he saw a small group of demons, the very same ones I mentioned earlier, hanging around the record player and discussing the Voyager track list. I was wrong, Mallet thought. It's not dinos down here, it's demons. I'll have to tell Quaker his theory was right. Could he make small talk with the demons or would they kill him with their fire? Fearing he really didn't have a choice since there was no visible path back towards the surface, he approached the demons. There were four of them gathered around the record player, three men and a woman, all wearing what appeared to be homemade Chuck Berry t-shirts with just his name and a music note scrawled on them. They were listening to Mozart's The Magic Flute, and Mallet approached like, hey there, song's almost getting to the good part, I see. The woman demon responded, I know that, I know. Act two's Hell's Vengeance boils in my heart. It's our favorite part because it's so relatable to us. Relatable, said Mallet. Say, you folks wouldn't happen to be demons from hell, would you? It turned out that yes, they were. The woman introduced herself as Lucifina Devilette. She was wondering what a funny-looking fellow without horns or red demon skin was doing around these parts. Mallet explained that he was a scientist. Basically, he said, in science, you make a hypothesis and test it. So, for example, my friend Quaker had a hypothesis. I bet there's some demons down there below. And I used my eyes to test it by looking at you guys. They were like, we know what a hypothesis is, you idiot. Except for one of the guys who didn't know and was genuinely thankful for the explanation. He never went to school because he had to work in the coal mines from a young age, as hell has a lucrative contract with the North Pole, exporting coal for Santa to give to wicked children all over the world. Mallet offered them some portable soup and pigtail tobacco as a gesture of goodwill. Lucifina thanked him but said she's allergic to soup and tobacco is much too dirty. You want to know what brought me here, said Mallet. Well, 
up on the surface, there have been a lot of cracks forming lately. We wanted to find out what's causing them, so someone had to come down here and tinker around. And that someone is me. Yeah, we know all about that, said Lucifina Devilette. We could even take you to our research facility at the Earth's core to show you what we've learned. But of course, we'll need something in return. You see, we're not the only ones who live down here. And our greatest enemies recently had their own encounter with the surface dweller. Maybe you could sort something out for us? At this point, Lucifina Devilette started blushing. Mallet should have known something was up, but since her devil's skin was red, it was impossible to tell she was blushing at all. As Quaker and his crew finally reached the bottom of this deep crevice, they found themselves in what seemed to be a balmy tropical jungle. They had these old-timey trees with leaves like palm trees, but they're bigger, with thicker trunks. You know what I mean? Like, real old-timey. Because guess what? The next thing they saw was a Triceratops. Holy shit, said Quaker. Mallet was right. It's dinos down here. The entire crew reached for their guns, ready to kill this ancient beast without a single other thought in their heads. But Quaker was slightly wiser than the rest of them and was a man of science after all, so he had a different idea. What if we try to research it instead? Find out what it eats, how it lives. Then we can kill it and bring it back to the president as a trophy. The team drew nearer to the Triceratops with nets and ropes in hand when suddenly the ancient beast let out a ferocious The crew immediately reached for their guns when a man riding on the back of an iguanodon burst through the foliage. Don't touch that dino, he said, and especially don't kill that dino. He was wearing a dinosaur-themed hoodie that, if we're being generous, could be described as a European fit, but which in reality seemed to be child-sized. He said that his name was Arlen, protector of dinos. He'd been a respected leader of this tribe ever since he showed up, like five days ago. Quaker pushed to the front of his men to have a word with Arlen. He wanted to know what a human was doing down here living among the dinos. Arlen said that he had sensed the dinosaurs were calling out to him in need and that his experience here had proven his instinct correct. You see, the dinosaurs had long been feuding with the demons who lived down here. Apparently, the whole thing began in the 70s with the arrival of NASA's Voyager Double Disc LP. For decades now, the dinosaurs have controlled one disc and the demons the other. Because the dinosaurs can't speak English, there's been no formal way to hold diplomatic talks about the possession of these rare discs, and only now, with Arlen's arrival, is there hope of a peaceful end to this nearly half-century-long feud. Arlen had begun teaching the dinosaurs English, but in the meantime, he had to serve as their lead negotiator. The dinos and demons would each like to take control of both Voyager discs, because listening to the same set of songs for a half-century has grown tedious. But seeing as neither side would give up their disc unconditionally, the negotiators realized that some kind of swap might be necessary. Maybe the two clans can trade custody of the discs back and forth following an agreed-upon schedule. Arlen said that the next round of negotiations was set for that evening, although there's no real evening inside of Earth. Instead, there's a man who was condemned to have his liver eaten by an eagle every 24 hours for all eternity, and everyone just guesses the time based on how much liver has been eaten that day. Quaker asked if he might attend the negotiation, and Arlen said he could. In the meantime, they retired to the dinosaur's village to regroup and enjoy dinosaur cuisine. Trees, bird meat, X-Men fruit snacks, things of that nature. Meanwhile, 
Mallet was settling into the Demon's Village, where Lucifina Devilette was likewise explaining the evening's negotiations to him. Until now, she was the Demon's main negotiator, but she'd begun to question her own integrity. Embarrassing as it was, she feared she was falling in love with Arlen, the dinosaur's lead negotiator. She found herself dragging out the negotiations, asking about his favorite music, whether he might prefer whale song or greetings in 55 different languages. It was so strange and alluring that he seemed to like other styles of music she had never heard, like the well-tempered clavier. In any case, if Mallet could bring the negotiations to a satisfying conclusion, then Lucifina would allow him to access the demon's research facility at the Earth's core. That evening, the negotiating parties met at a neutral site between the two groups' territory. It was agreed that hellfire or palm trees could create unfair vibes for the talks, so they destroyed everything in a five-acre radius and built a very boring-looking altar that wouldn't offend anyone's sensibilities. At some point along the way, it seemed Lucifina had disappeared. The dinosaurs couldn't find Arlen either. This left the two parties in an awkward position, in which Quaker and Mallet were deputized to be the negotiators, despite both appearing out of thin air just hours ago. And as you can imagine, the two seismologists were surprised to cross paths again at this moment. You were right, said Quaker. It's dinos down here. No, you were right, said Mallet. It's demons. We were were both both right, and we are going going to win win a million million dollars dollars for our science science discoveries. discoveries. The demons were like, wait, you two know each other? How do we know you're not trying to screw us over? And the dinos probably felt the same way, or at least some of them did, but none of them could speak English, and half of them were distracted eating bark off trees or whatever. Nobody knew what had happened to Arlen and Lucifina, except me, because it's my vision. And guess what? They were back at Lucifina's apartment listening to both of the Voyager discs back to back. If it seems unbelievable that demons would have their own record players to listen to this stuff on, I would remind you that NASA somehow expects aliens to have turntables to listen to the damn thing. So why is it any harder to imagine demons and dinosaurs having turntables? They reverse engineered it from something. I don't know. Now, as the Georgian state merited ensemble of folk song and dance played in the background, Arlen regaled Lucifina with his deepest thoughts. Basically, the English naturalist Sir Richard Owen coined the term dinosauria, derived from the Greek dinos. One of the biggest dinosaurs was the Argentinosaurus, and the longest dinosaur name is Micropachycephalosaurus. But I think demons are cool too. Back at the negotiating site, things were tense. It was starting to seem like a demon might kill a dinosaur with hellfire, or an herbivore might go berserk and nibble on somebody's fingers. Quaker and Mallet were scared they'd never make it back to the surface with their incredible discoveries. They imagined the president's face as she awarded them the National Medal of Science, age 15 and up division. They imagined the parade in their honor, which would take over the entirety of Manhattan, shutting down business across the island, causing billions in lost productivity and forcing more famous and important people, like the president, to be stuck in traffic for hours as the two godlike scientists rolled down Broadway on a parade float at three miles per hour, sitting on a pair of golden thrones. The traffic would be so bad, the president would miss a meeting that would have secured free Netflix for everyone on Earth. Just when it seemed like a violent clash would end those dreams before they began, something came hurtling down from above. The unidentified falling object bounced off a pillosaurus, conveniently the softest kind of dinosaur, and landed on the ground squarely between Mallet and Quaker. It was a laptop with some sort of manuscript pulled up. 
a new cultural artifact from the world above. Though the dinosaurs couldn't read it, they immediately grasped its significance. It had the power to alter dinosaur and demon culture forever. Because, let's be honest, neither of them were very creative. Almost all their cultural products were wildly derivative. Like, 90% of demon music these days is a ripoff of whale song, and the rest is fake greetings in made-up languages. Dinosaur music is mostly an imitation of the Navajo night chant from Voyager Disc 2, which sounds problematic until you realize the dinosaurs lived in North America long before the Navajo. Because neither side trusted the other with this valuable new artifact, it was determined that groups of dinosaurs and demons would watch over the manuscript in shifts at all hours. It would remain in place at the negotiation site until it was better understood. From a cursory glance, Mallet and Quaker had determined it was something to do with a rapper and his rooster friend, and there seemed to be stand-up comedy bits scrawled in at incomprehensible moments throughout. With the negotiations at a standstill, it was decided that Quaker and the expedition crew would return to the dinosaur's village and Mallet to the demons. That night, Mallet awoke to the gentle sound of demonic hellfire lapping at his window. It was Lucifina Devilette. She wanted to thank him for acting as a decoy so that she could spend quality alone time with Arlen. In exchange, she'd instructed the head of the Demonic Earth's Core research facility to give him a tour of the grounds promptly in the morning. All he needed to do was take the town elevator to the very bottom. The facility was conveniently located at 1 Earth's Core Avenue, right next to the elevator, which was completely unguarded and could have been accessed at any time. Things were not so quiet that night in the Dino Village. Arlen had come to Quaker's tent to thank him for allowing him to sneak off with Lucifina, but their conversation was cut short by a commotion coming from the crew's tent. A hungry triceratops had entered the tent in a trance-like state, drawn by the scent of portable soup and pigtail tobacco. This gluttonous dino went for the tobacco, then the soup. But what had caused such a commotion next was that he went for the men. He ate every last one of them before Arlen and Quaker made it over to investigate. Quaker expressed his horror that such a peace-loving herbivore would develop a taste for human flesh. Arlen was ashamed to admit he was pretty sure of the cause. It seems that, for reasons unknown to science, pigtail tobacco gives herbivorous dinosaurs a taste for flesh. Arlen had been blowing smoke in this very dinosaur's face just the other day because it was funny to him. Perhaps now there was blood on his hands? In the morning, Lucifina headed directly for the mysterious manuscript to see what she could learn from it. She was absolutely gutted by its tragic tale, in which a man's beloved rooster came down with the very same rooster leukemia that had taken all of its siblings. It was a fate worse than death. Well, it, it was a fate that was, that was death. It was exactly as bad as death. It seemed the rooster made a full recovery thanks to the power of friendship and a hefty donation from a wealthy patron, which was nice for the rooster. But what would happen down here if someone contracted rooster leukemia? Demon society was a primitive one in which vast accumulations of personal wealth were unheard of and power was distributed roughly evenly among the people. You might think there was a devil ruling over all these demons, but buddy, you would be wrong. He does not exist. At the end of the day, Demons have got to look in the mirror and answer to themselves. Just as Lucifina finished the manuscript and hurried off, Arlen showed up. He was hoping to find some solace from the horror that had just happened, or maybe a reincarnation spell that worked on humans who'd been chewed to death. Instead, what caught his eye was the comedic stylings of a man known as Doyle McLaughlin. 
he had a lot of astute observations about how different kinds of people are different from other kinds of people. He seemed to believe that people of different races drove their cars in different ways, and that was very humorous to him. Perhaps Arlen could use comedy to heal the rift between dinos, demons, and humans. Harold Mallet was in the elevator down to the Earth's core research station. He still had a few hundred floors to go, which was curious because the floors didn't correspond to anything and were not accessible in any way. They had seemingly just designated every eight feet or so to represent another floor. When the thing finally dinged and he stepped off, he immediately saw this hulking facility with inoperable smokestacks. The whole place was a cave with no place for exhaust to go. They must have designed the facility based on something they'd seen from Earth and then retooled it. Mallet was greeted by a demon who introduced himself as Murmur. He carried a plush doll of a pterodactyl under his arm. And Mallet thought this was curious, given that the two tribes did not generally get along. But Murmur explained that the researchers down here had taken pains to get on the dino's good side. The facility was located directly next to an ancient dinosaur graveyard, and they didn't want to show any kind of disrespect that would politicize their facility. The two went through a few sets of doors and then into another elevator that took them down further. Murmur handed Mallet protective eyewear, and they stepped off to find a giant glowing column of magma, or whatever other stuff they've got down there. Fire. Rocks. I don't know. Murmur told Mallet to look overhead instead. Large fissures had formed only recently, he said. Some of them had reached the Earth's surface. Mallet wondered if the demon's own research could have caused this, but Murmur explained it wasn't possible. They'd taken pains not to disturb anything down here for over a century, and these fissures had appeared without warning only very recently. The demon researcher's best guess was that something was vibrating the planet straight through. Mallet wondered, was there any way to reverse the process or stop it at this point? Murmur was afraid not. The fissures seemed not to have begun at the core or the surface, but at random points all throughout Earth. They had no real insight about why or how or what could be done to change this. In all likelihood, this was a terminal condition. It was stupid, but Mallet couldn't help but think of the rooster in the manuscript. The fate of the planet was as tragic as rooster leukemia. Was there anyone rich enough to stop it? Probably not. It's only a matter of time until the end, said Murmur. How did the demons stay in such good spirits facing down the end of Earth? Basically, they were holding out hope that the planet would end in a fiery conflagration. Maybe the core would melt the surface when it fell apart, something like that. As long as the apocalypse wasn't a cold apocalypse, they'd find some way to persist. Humans would not be so lucky. Back in the demon village, Lucifina Devilette had come down with a malaise. She wouldn't, she couldn't get out of bed. Soon, she had to confront that it was likely the worst was happening. She had come down with rooster leukemia. This disease had never been seen this far inside the Earth, and there was probably no way to stop it. It must be terminal. As her last act before this awful disease ended her life, she wrote a letter to Arlen. By the time you read this, I am dead. I caught an unfortunate case of rooster leukemia, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Oh, these will be my last words. Oh, I just wish we could have spent more time together. Okay, bye-bye. 
Lucifina's letter was delivered by a mailer demon to Arlen's email inbox. When he got the news, he was devastated. He considered killing himself right then and there. It would be a pretty noble gesture of love. Plus, it would get him out of any responsibility for the Triceratops incident. But on second thought, eh, it was probably better to be alive than to not be alive. So he just smoked some pigtail tobacco and tried to remember the entire sequence of The Land Before Time 5 in his head, line for line, blowing smoke in the face of any dinosaur that came by trying to annoy him. Later, Arlen paid another visit to the site of the manuscript, and the demon's patience was running short. They wanted to know what had happened to the Voyager discs. Arlen assured them that the discs had already been exchanged last night in secret. Lucifina had the other disc at her apartment. He was more concerned with the tragic news that her death was imminent. When the demons heard this, they started crying fire, burning their own faces. Why, God, why, said Arlen. Why didn't you take me instead? I should kill myself to prove my love to her, but honestly, that sounds like a lot of work. Just then, Lucifina showed up looking as healthy as a clam, a really healthy clam. Everyone was stunned. You're alive. Lucifina explained that her rooster leukemia had been psychosomatic. And once she realized that, she thought maybe her soup allergy was also psychosomatic. So she ate a big bowl of portable soup and felt sick. So the allergy was real, but she wasn't dying after all. She was very upset though. She'd overheard Arlen saying he wasn't willing to die for her. Wasn't her love worth more than life itself? It seemed like he didn't really care after all. Arlen tried to explain that things worked out for the better with them both being alive, but she couldn't accept his cowardice. If he wasn't willing to die for her, she couldn't trust him to live for her either. Arlen suggested that maybe instead they could write a play in which a dinosaur and a demon fall in love and they both kill themselves in tragic ways to prove their love. Maybe it would unite the two tribes and it could be full of jokes about how dinosaurs drive the car one way and demons do it a different way just like the great Doyle McLaughlin. Back at the research station, Mallet and Murmur contemplated the Earth's impending doom, overlooking the vast dinosaur graveyard just outside the facility. The dinos had survived one extinction event before. They probably weren't too worried about another, but the people on Earth's surface weren't going to be thrilled. Mallet offered Murmur some pigtail tobacco. As Mallet lit Murmur's cigar, the demon immediately dropped it into the dinosaur graveyard below. Thousands of years of decomposition had basically turned the graveyard into an oil field, and the whole thing immediately exploded. The sound of those dinosaur corpses igniting jerked me awake. Or maybe it was the fact that I'd rolled over in my sleep and my necklace was stabbing me in the throat. Probably should have taken that off. Oh, well. As I laid there, wide awake, at the unsightly hour of 8 a.m., I wondered what was really causing the earth to split open. The more I thought about those fissures, the more I had to admit it seemed like a problem that couldn't be fixed. But I felt like Arlen felt. I don't want to die. It would be much more convenient to stay alive. 